1 Corinthians 16, I'm continuing to move through different dimensions of what has become for me a kind of a pandemic life verse. Um, be alert or be on your guard. Uh, Paul writes, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong or be strengthened in the passive Greek. Do everything in love. And a few weeks ago, I mentioned that trying to navigate this pandemic um, can sometimes feel like you're trying to stand up in a raft in the middle of a storm without your bearings and without knowing how long the storm is going to last, or even if you've seen the worst of the storm. And I was thinking about that metaphor and the part of this section of Scripture that I wanted to teach on today is the call to stand firm in the faith. And that's a military term. It has at its root this, the idea of bracing yourself for impact, setting your feet, weight distributed, such that you can absorb and take active resistance. Maybe you think of a wall of water coming towards you when you're playing on the beach when you're a kid and there's that time where the water's just about to hit and you're just, and you're trying to kind of like jump against it or smash against it or even just hold your ground and see how big the waves can get before they, you eventually succumb to them. Stand firm in the faith, Paul writes to the Corinthians, because there are active forces uh, within you and outside of you that are slamming against you. And could anyone argue that those aren't amplified during a pandemic? But it's one thing to say that. It's another thing to understand, okay, what does it mean to stand in the faith? And I mentioned this before. Uh, it's best to translate this, and, and most Bibles do this well, not as stand firm in faith, as if it's just a call for an individual to stand firm in their personal commitment to Jesus. It's stand firm in the faith given to a community, and the faith is important because it presumes there is a core faith that we are all unified in supporting, seeing the mission of that faith go out into Ryandale and different parts of British Columbia and Canada and to the ends of the earth. And as I was reflecting on that in my own journey and some of the advantages that I had of not growing up in the church and coming to faith later and some of the disadvantages that that presented, I thought of one of the things that has helped me and many Christians for literally thousands of years stand firm in the faith. And that is the process of catechesis or catechisms. A catechism is a method of instruction whereby usually a teacher or a leader, it might be in Sunday school, it might be in a one-on-one -on -one mentoring relationship, asks a series of questions, and the person on the other side kind of parrots back an answer that they've memorized that comes from Scripture. And so it's these short kind of ping-ponging back and forth question and answers now, depending on your religious background, um, catechisms are almost inevitably associated with the Roman Catholic Church. And so if you have any experience there or friends who have grown up Catholic and Catholic families or communities, they will be familiar with catechisms. And outside of that, generally speaking, uh, other kind of Bible-believing evangelical Christians are like, I think I've heard of it. I don't know. It sounds weird. Isn't it like a Catholic thing? But they've been used by Christians across all kinds of traditions for hundreds and again thousands of years 
to help ground people in the faith so that they can stand firm. So that we know what our faith is and not just know it, but so that we own it ourselves. So that it's like in our bones. And it's not a low resolution picture of like, I guess I love God and I'm following Jesus, but there's a little bit of meat on those bones of this is what that means. I want to read to you some of the quotes from really prominent theologians and pastoral leaders from different eras and different Christian traditions, non-Catholic traditions, Protestant uh, thinkers, who say catechisms aren't just a good idea. They, they would actually argue they're necessary for the flourishing of God's people. J.I. Packer, who's a Reformed Protestant theologian, he said, catechesis is the church's ministry for grounding and growing God's people in the gospel and the gospel's implication for doctrine, devotion, duty, and delight. Charles Spurgeon, Baptist preacher, says, for my part, I am more and more persuaded that the study of a good scriptural catechism is of infinite value to our children. And I shall see that it is reprinted as cheaply as possible for their use. And even if the youngsters don't understand all the questions and answers in the Westminster Assembly's catechism, yet abiding in their memories, it will be of infinite service to them when the time of understanding comes. To have those very excellent, wise, judicious definitions of the things of God in their heart. And Spurgeon followed that up a few years later by writing at the age of 21 a revised version of the Westminster Catechism. John Bunyan, who was a Puritan in 1675, he wrote a catechism called Instructions for the Ignorant. Not the most flattering title, but it was his hope that it would be used among his parishioners, just regular people, not just children in his congregation, but everybody to remind them of the truths that they had been taught. And he also thought it could even be used as an evangelistic track in the home where you had one spouse who was a believer, one spouse who wasn't, or maybe uh, an, an older child who was a believer with a sibling, but the parents weren't. That as believers in the household practiced and memorized and talked about the catechism, Bunyan believed that it could be the seeds of an awakening and a conversion so that those who were unconverted and still in their sins would turn to Christ, that God would use that as a mechanism of kind of indirect evangelism. Now, if catechism has been widely used across all kinds of Christian traditions by church leaders and pastors and theologians, why do so many churches, including our denomination, the covenant, why have we tended to avoid or hesitate using them and implementing them, whether it's in Sunday school, in our homes, emphasizing it from the pulpit. Well, I want to just walk through a few of the genuine problems or hesitancies or issues that come up with catechism that we have learned from history of catechisms being done in different ways, in different traditions, with different goals. And the first is Catechisms can devolve. There's a temptation when you use a catechism where there's a simple question like, what is my only hope in life and death? And the response is that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul to God. 
there's a temptation that those kinds of Q&A back and forth can really become just lifeless, cold memorization of the right answers. And this kind of right answer theology can go wrong in so many ways. First of all, it can lead to self-righteousness. I've memorized the long Westminster Catechism. It's over 200 Q&A. I know all the right answers. And it can kind of have that effect that Paul talks about where knowledge puffs up. And it can actually lead to arrogance instead of humility. And in that way, catechisms can maybe sometimes even block vibrant faith. Because if you think you are a religious or Bible or Jesus know-it-all, it becomes very easy to walk in smugness, not humility. And it becomes very tempting to judge those around you who don't have all the right answers, who can't articulate faith with the same kind of precision that you can. Sometimes catechisms have been done as really just a mechanism for um, clearing a hurdle. It's part of something that you have to do growing up. It's, it's part of the Sunday school curriculum between this age, and then you have to do a big test, and you do the right answers, and you're like, whew, great, I'm done. It's like a religious hurdle. It's a burden that I had to bear for a season, memorize the answers, and now I'm done with it. Sweet. I can leave it in the rearview mirror, and now I can be free from this um, extra sort of like Bible homework. And it actually doesn't help you. And it doesn't move you forward to, towards doing everything in love. Where catechisms are emphasized, sometimes they even replace scripture. And this is maybe a bit more common, at least in the people who have been raised Roman Catholic that I know. They know very little about the actual Bible. They know a lot about their Roman Catholic catechism. Because what's been emphasized is this is like the pared-down course stuff. I mean, you can read the Bible if you want, but it's a big, complex book. You really should leave the Bible to the experts. This is sort of like Christianity for dummies, so go deep into that. And people have, but then they don't know, even know how to fact-check the catechism because the catechism gives these answers, and it's like, well, I'm just taking it on faith in my church institution that, I'm actually, that these are actually grounded in Scripture, but they're not actually being taught to go into scripture and to use the catechism as a way to deepen their love for God's word. And that's also part of why the covenant church historically has hesitated to use catechisms and really emphasize creeds because part of the covenant's history was seeing how in Sweden everyone grew up in a Christian nation, everyone went to church, everyone went to Sunday school, everyone memorized the catechisms but they still lived in their sins. They hadn't really turned their life over to Christ. They had thought, oh, what Christianity is, is memorizing the right answers and being a good person and dressing up on Sunday and looking the part. So the covenant church said, no, we want to push people towards a vibrant relationship with Jesus, a born-again experience where they give their lives and hearts to Jesus. And that initial impulse was, uh, we kind of see catechisms getting in the way of that. So we're going to sort of sidestep that and really just get people into the Bible and give them the tools to kind of understand the Bible and hopefully faith uh, by the Holy Spirit is quickened within them. Another problem or hesitancy is people just think catechisms are for kids. It's like the kids thing. It's like elementary teachings of the faith. So even if you've done it, again, maybe it's something in your past that you did for confirmation in the Anglican church 
um, or in Catholic uh, tradition. And it's just really associated with basic building blocks of faith that after 12 or 14 or whenever you clear that hurdle, you can leave behind you. So helpful for kids, not really necessary or helpful for adults. But if you study the history of catechism, Christians across generations and pastoral leaders have often used catechisms for everybody in the church and especially for new converts. And I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, And lastly, and this is one that I wonder about. I don't know if this is how prominent this is, but I think that a lot of people today really balk at inherited spirituality or inherited wisdom of the past. And what I mean by that is I think there's sort of a cultural uh, zeitgeist that it's like, for me to fully embrace something, I have to go through the journey of self-discovery. I have to reinvent the wheel from start to finish. So if someone else is telling me how I'm supposed to be a Christian or what I'm supposed to believe, no, that's on them. I'm going to do me. I'm going to start from scratch and build up my faith on my own. Now, obviously, there's a good element of that where you're trying to own your faith, but I think it sort of plants seeds of resistance and rejection to that which has come before you. And then I think when you live in a culture where all of our associations, especially for young people, all of the associations are things that are new are better and improved, and things that are old are outdated and old, useless then when you're saying, hey, let's take these ideas from the past, these truths that people have worked really hard to articulate so that faith can be passed on, it can become tempting to kind of be like, "Uh, I don't know, like I'll, I'll figure it out myself, thank you very much. Some people, I think, believe the lie. If I'm simply embracing what has come before, if I'm adopting what other people believe, or even memorizing the articulation of an idea that someone else wrote down, that it's not really authentic. That an authentic spiritual journey is all about self-discovery. And repetition and memorization are kind of unnecessary because at the end of the day, if I wanted to know what is our only hope in life and death and what the catechism says, I'll, I'll just Google it. Why would I memorize it? So those are some of the hesitancies. Those are the pitfalls that people can fall into when it comes to some of these tools of back and forth repetition of core truths of the faith, which allow you to know what the faith is and allow you to own your faith and then to stand firm in it. So why use them? What are the advantages? And why have I used them? Why have I at times in this church Um, introduce them as part of Sunday morning, as part of Sunday school, as part of coaching parents? And why do I encourage us, and I'm going to, um, during this next season of a pandemic, to adopt a catechism? Well, number one, catechisms are really awesome because they're kind of too long, didn't read Christianity. There are these uh, threads on the internet where if people send a wall of text and they're doing this long story, they have a thing at the bottom that says TLDR, too long, didn't read. If you don't have time to read all this, here's the snapshot. And it is really helpful because you can read the TLDR and be like, okay, that's a helpful summary. That's a funny story. And now I can go back into the bigger story, find out all the details. And in a good way, 
catechisms do do that. If you have a Bible and someone becomes a Christian or you have a little kid or there's parts of theology that you haven't really steeped in, um, it might look heroic to throw a Bible down in front of someone and say, get going. Here it is, word of God, get going. 99% of people are going to be overwhelmed. And understandably, the Bible is in many ways a complex book. You need kind of a guide. You need some rails to run on. And that's what catechisms do. They offer you, here are the core truths of faith. There's so much more than this, but it's at least these things so that when you go into studying Scripture or discussing Scripture, you at least have some uh, bumper walls on the bowling alley so that if you are going off into the gutter, it kind of bounces back and you're going to hit some pins down. We're going to keep you more or less on the straight and narrow. And catechisms give you a theological lexicon, different words and concepts that, again, like Spurgeon said, maybe when you're a kid you don't understand, maybe even as an adult you're like, I don't really get why people are hammering so hard on justification, like why that word is such a big deal. I kind of get the basic idea, God forgives us and justifies us, but like, why is, why is so much energy spent on that word? Getting that lexicon and realizing for hundreds of years, Christians have been refining these catechisms so that they're accessible to people and so that the core truths of the faith are being offered to people. Another reason I would encourage you to think about adopting a catechism is that catechisms really can keep you safe. If they're a good catechism, and they're solid, obviously, catechisms can help you develop, uh, I would call it like a, like a theological or a spiritual spidey sense. There's a lot of people today and a lot of information on the internet, and even if you just think about it through the level of, there's a lot of cults that are promoted that use a lot of biblical language, that will throw Bible verses around, that will speak heavily about loving God and loving Jesus. And a lot of people get duped into uh, abusive teachers, into abusive religious communities. They get manipulated spiritually or exploited by corrupt word of faith prosperity ministries or, or just anybody who has learned to take advantage of Christians with big hearts and soft heads. And what a catechism does is it gives you a scope, and as you move through it, not just once, but semi-regularly, when you hear people talk a certain way, and it's like this big Bible, Christianese word salad, you're a little bit better prepared to kind of be like, I don't know exactly what's off, but this feels sketchy to me. And catechisms help with that in their articulation of core ideas. And so when you hear people say, well, the real reason why Jesus died or where the Bible really comes from is this. Having some of this lexicon and concepts in your mind and in your bones allow you to say, uh, I'm going to double check on that. And you don't get just swept up in the momentum of a charismatic teacher or leader. Another reason why I would encourage you to think about catechisms is they're great for individuals, couples, families, churches, just this back and forth, memorizing the question and the answer. Anybody can do that. It, and it's, uh, it's just awesome in that it's plug and play. And 
even as a parent, if you're like, I don't really know how to disciple my kids or how to have spiritual conversations, I don't know enough about the Bible, and you have all these hesitancies, a catechism allows you to say, we're just going to do this together. And we're just going to talk about this question and answer several times a week. And you don't have to be the Bible expert as a parent or the grandparent. You can just say, I'm learning too. But instead of, again, throwing the Bible in front of you and saying, hey, go, dis- go disciple your kids. Go disciple your grandkids. Go have significant spiritual conversations with your spouse. That can be overwhelming. Now, some of us have devotional structures, and for some of us that comes naturally. But for those for whom it doesn't, catechisms are a really helpful tool to keep you on track. I also like catechisms because they scale up, meaning they can start in a very simplistic way, but they can introduce you to very sophisticated theological conversations. So, for example, when you're teaching the kid the catechism at at stage one, or even a new believer, um, or someone who's established in the faith but is just unfamiliar with this particular Q&A, you just work on memorizing the answer. What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but we belong to God. And that comes from Romans. Super simple. Basic. But then you could kind of say, okay, let's memorize the answer. Let's memorize the Bible verse as well. Let's look up the Bible verse when they get a little bit older, maybe junior high, right? Or you get a little bit more familiar with it. Then you could discuss it maybe with a friend or a mentor or in a small group or a three-to-one group about, okay, what is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, we belong to God. How do you, how do you apply that? Like, why does that matter? I used to ask my kids that when we do these questions. The younger ones, I was okay with just them repeating back. As Lauren and Kara got older, I would say, like, who cares though? Like, why does that matter? Why does that matter that you need to remember that? You know, and just force them a little bit to be like, well, I have friends, or one day I'm going to get sick, or one day I'm going to die, or I have friends who are going through a hard time, and it's important to remember that, like, in good times and in bad, in life and death, we serve God. Like, you're just kind of pushing a little bit, force yourself to do that. You can keep scaling it up and use catechisms to increase clarity, to go back and say, well, this answer is based on this verse, but I wonder if I could find two or three other verses in the Bible that reinforce what this is saying. I'm going to do my own little study there. So they scale up. And then what happens is, as your knowledge of Scripture grows and the deep truths of Scripture, your humility grows. It shouldn't puff you up with knowledge. Oh, I'm the right answer person. Because as your circle of knowledge expands, so does the outer edge of ignorance. So the more you understand about God, it's not really a sense of like mastery. It's like, wow, God is big and amazing and bigger. And there's so much more I need to learn about what this means and how to apply it and how to faithfully live it out in the context of my relationships. And then that propels you into deeper worship. Because humility, um, recognizing your smallness and your finiteness and contrasted, contrasted with this holy, holy, holy God propels you to deeper worship. A few more things. Catechism is really helpful in just training you how to grow in love. 1 John 4, 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. To know God is to love God and to know God is to equip yourself to love Him and serve Him well. And so if your knowledge of God is stunted, if it remains small and limited or overly simplistic or reductionistic, 
all of those same descriptors will inevitably manifest themselves in how you express your love to God and other people. It'll be stunted. It'll be reductionistic. It'll be uh, simplistic. As our depth of knowledge grows, so does your depth of love. And catechisms to that end fuel greater obedience to God. They are a rhythm that moves you through the truths of Scripture, and God's Word doesn't return void. So as we're memorizing these answers and committing them to our hearts and going back into Scripture and saying, like, yeah, this is where this comes from. This is important for me to hold on to. Maybe I don't realize it why right now, but I'm going to do the work so that when the time comes, these are the truths that come to mind. And so when we're tempted, when we're tired, when we're weary, when those voices call that say, give up, turn your back, reject and ignore God, there are these um, buttresses of the soul that keep us, hold us up, point us towards Jesus. What you learn about God and what you learn about yourself through the process of catechesis really does help you live a life that honors God more and more. And lastly, uh, I would say catechisms nurture unity, a Christian unity among churches. A generation or two ago, there were movements, understandably, because there were so many church splits for so many reasons, that part of the, uh, part of the again, zeitgeist, the new zeitgeist that sort of emerged within evangelical churches, broadly speaking, was doctrine divides, Let's just focus on the essentials. And I, I hear that heart, and I know there's a lot of heartbreak that has come around just trying to parse what exactly do we mean by God's sovereignty, and um, let's get really, really clear around definitions of sanctification and the process of sanctification, and it's broken down into its constituent steps coming out of Scripture, and, well, I think you've got step six and step four, and it should actually be the other way around. Ooh, harumph. I'm taking my Bible and leaving, and we're starting a new church where step four is where step six is. So I get it. Christians have often, out of a good intention, tried to arrive at such precision it goes into a purity spiral and almost no one can make the grade. And yet, if you let that play out long enough, all you're going to end up with is a church of individual people who are very vaguely and broadly committed to Jesus, but even when we get together and try and worship or talk about Jesus or envision ways that we can serve him, we really realize very quickly we're all on such different pages because we've kind of done our own um, self-styled Christianity. And so even if our hearts want unity, it's really hard to have practical unity if there isn't a faith to rally around. And that faith should be about the essentials. So a good catechism should focus on the essentials so that any Christian could more or less read it and say, yeah, this is solid biblical theology. I might have some nuance of how I'd say a word here or there or how I'd frame it, but 98%, I can get unified behind this. And I think that's what this church and other churches, evangelical churches, are definitely going to need over the next 20 and 30 years. We have to reclaim a little bit of, this is what we believe, not just what I believe. This is what we believe. 
And again, we can offer grace for people grappling on the edges of, well, I'm not sure if I'd say it that way. That's fine. That's that's what a family does. But there are some core truths that we can confidently say, Scripture makes at least this much clear so that we have solid ground. Scripture is not... um, presented to us. God's Word is not presented to us as that rubbery, uncertain dinghy in the storm. It's a rock and foundation that you can get set on, right? Like the psalmist, God took me up out of the pit and put me on solid ground. And it's like, oh, now that I'm on solid ground, okay, this is good. I can, everything else about my life can recalibrate because I actually have a firm foundation. And catechisms can move us towards that. So I hope you've enjoyed my infomercial for catechisms. I hope you're excited because I do want to challenge us as a church, as individuals, couples, as families, to move into a catechism starting this week. 1 Corinthians 16 says, stand firm in the faith. Now, are catechisms absolutely necessary? No, But I think what your experience will be in using them, even imperfectly, and what the history of Christians who have used them in history have shown us is that they are an awesome tool and more helpful than you might believe them to be at the near side of having not done them. I don't know how many Christians in this church, across churches Nelson, are strong with any kind of catechism. I do know there's a lot of Christians in our church and there's a lot of Christians in the churches in Nelson who I talk to who will say even just any kind of a consistent rhythm of devotions is challenging for them. So I take that to mean something like a catechesis, which would be another level of engagement, is either non-existent or something in their distant past but I think they're really, really important. And I've dabbled in catechisms here and personally, um, and I think the best starting point, honestly, is the New City Catechism, which was written by Timothy Keller and um, one of his associate pastors. The reason why I recommend this catechism is although it comes from the Reformed theological tradition, and if you don't know what that means, um, don't worry about it too much. It just means that um, it comes from a particular perspective of how to interpret and apply the Bible. But Keller's heart was to create a catechism that was simple, focused on the essentials, and that, broadly speaking, any evangelical Christian who takes the Bible seriously could affirm. There are definitely a few questions here and there where either in the question or the answer, you know, Pastor Jeff, I'd I'd make some tweaks. But overall, it's what I use to grow and to refine and to remind myself of the core things of the faith. Part of why it's also awesome, you can go to New City Catechism. They have personal studies. They have free apps for your iPhone, desktop, uh, Android. They have songs for kids that, uh, that are the answers to each of the questions so that kids can just learn the uh, answers through songs. They have uh, marriage resources. They have family resources. Um, some of those printed resources aren't free, but the actual catechism, 52 questions and answers, so you do one a week, not trying to burn through it, just one a week. You don't even have to do it every day, maybe just once or twice a week, just start there, just try and try and put it somewhere in your home where you're seeing the question and answer. 
So one question a week, free, you can use a phone, desktop, you can print them out, and they just cover some of the core truths around who is God, creation, fall, redemption, the law in the Old Testament, the instruction, how we're to understand that, Ten Commandments, who is Jesus, what does it mean that Jesus redeemed and saved us, what does it mean to accept and to walk in God's grace, um, who is the Holy Spirit, what does restoration in Christ look like, what is justification, what is sanctification, how do Christians grow in grace, how do we pray, how do we read the Bible, simple questions and answers that everybody, young or old, can step into. And the other reason why I like it is that it's got like a children's answer and like an adult answer. So if you want to feel like you're just crushing the catechism as an adult, just memorize the children's answer. That's what I do. I just do the the really simple short one because I do it with my kids. And I'm like, oh, this is great. And the adult one is longer. And maybe that's something that I would do years down the road. But it has kind of a a tiered, scaled ability to access it. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to set a time during the week where I'm just going to have a Zoom call and anyone who has the link, and I'll promote it through email and different avenues, just for an hour, and we'll come together and we'll talk about the question, we'll pray about the themes together, just check in, see how you're doing, and that'll be my commitment. I'll just do that during the day at some point, uh, same day, same time, every week. I haven't landed on that. just going to look at my schedule this week, but we'll do that. Um, and they'll just be drop-in. It's not like a study where you have to commit to it every week, but you'll know in advance we're talking about question one. Here's the scripture. Let's just see how it's going. Let's pray. Let's hear how you're doing. Why do you think this is important? Just very casual, but at the same time, uh, digging, doing some grappling with this question and with the text. And I want to encourage you to participate. Because you can't stand firm in a faith that you don't know, and you can't stand firm in a faith that you don't own as you reflect and grapple with it and turn it over, kind of like a diamond from different angles and saying like, oh, why did they choose that word? Why did they choose to say it like that? Why did they, why, why did they make the very first question, what is death? Like, that's, a good, that's an important discussion. They could have started with lots of different questions. Who is God? They didn't. Why did they start with that one? Those kinds of questions in the context of safe spaces to discuss are really, really helpful in owning your faith. And when a desire to love and honor God is actually wedded with some kind of process of catechesis, God really does equip equip us with resources, heart, soul, mind, and strength to stand firm against the storms that slam against us and slam within us. Let's pray. God, I want to 